If you're a veteran or a military spouse of another state startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or are looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker, a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. On today's show, I interview Army veteran Dan Lee, owner of Farina Pasta and Noodle, a Philadelphia-based restaurant that serves homemade pasta dishes. What originally started out as a concept in culinary school after the Army, Farina got its start in a ghost kitchen with plans to expand into a food truck. Like most things in life, their initial plan didn't survive first contact. Not only was Dan unable to get the food truck off the ground, but the onslaught of the COVID-19 pandemic also added extra complexity to his venture. Refusing to give up, Dan eventually found a brick-and-mortar location where he was able to work out a deal with the developer and start his restaurant. On the transition, Dan opens up about his passion for food, the journey to get Farina off the ground, and the current challenges he's facing running a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Before you hear from Dan and I, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. I'd also greatly appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes and shared this show with other entrepreneurs within your network. This episode of The Transition is brought to us by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Dan the man, welcome to the bunker. So happy to finally have you here, my brother. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. You know, like I was saying in our pre-interview, I saw your stuff start to pop up on the bunker feed. And I was like, man, I need to reach out to him and get him on this pod because, you know, um, I just think it's so dope what you're doing, running a restaurant out in Philly. Um, and I, I want to come and I want to like get some of that good food, man. Yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate it. You'll love the food. I mean, everything's made in house. So you know, this is, this, this ain't, you know, jarred stuff. You, you love it. And one of the things we were also talking about was like, even as much of a grind as being an entrepreneur is, you express just how much you love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think with the restaurant industry, it's one of those things you have to love. Like you can't kind of go into it just like, you know, treating it as just like another product because the way that you make people feel, I guess, you know, how they interact with your food or how they interact with your restaurant is a major component. I mean, that's the reason why a lot of people go back to a restaurant. Anyways, you know, the ambiance, they had some good music playing or, you know, and I mean, the food's not like the last part of it, but it's not the only part, you know. So do me a favor, man. Let's just jump right in. How about you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Tell them, you know, where you're from, you know, uh, your background in the Army. And then uh, I'm going to ask you to take off your armor. All right. Um, yeah, I'm from New Jersey, Sarahville, New Jersey. Uh, I, high school there. Uh, that's pretty much why I did most of my growing up. Uh, I went into the Army in 2011. As uh, I originally wanted to be, I was it an Airborne Ranger. Uh, um, had that in a contract and I turns out I didn't have the eyesight for it. And they like, right. I was sitting at the recruiter's desk and that's when they were like, so you don't have the eyesight for all this, for the cool guy stuff, really. So what do you want to do? And I didn't know anything else. So I remember I said, well, uh, I saw this movie called Hurt Locker and that looked cool. So he was like, well, we got slots for EOD. So I said, okay, well, is it out in the field? I said, yeah, yeah, it's out in the field. All right. He said, all right. Well, I'll take it. So I did EOD for, well, I mean, the entire time I was there, got out in 2015. Um, no deployments. Um, some people say uh, good things. So I, you know, me, I'm on the fence side of going. But um, did a couple of stuff stateside. It was a cool, I thought it was a great time. I blew a lot of stuff up uh, on the range. I learned a lot from just a lot of different people. Um, yeah, I, I, man, I, I don't regret it at all. I, find it, I think it's just an awesome thing that I did. And I'd yeah. definitely do it again. 
Yeah, EOD is no joke, man. You know, I was an infantry officer out in Afghanistan, <laughs> and, uh, you know, those guys, you know, saved a lot of lives. And uh, you come from that tribe. Even though you didn't deploy, you still came from that tribe. You did the training, man. So I know you still got something to be proud of. Yeah, yeah. I think about that often, actually, um, not deploying. Like, it was my choice. Like, I didn't, you know, pick it. It's just whenever we were scheduled to deploy, they would cancel the deployment. Um, I think this, that happened to me twice. So, you know, it, I, to me, I wanted to go. I still kind of think like, oh, I don't know what would it have been like had I deployed, you know, what I still gotten out, you know, what I still been in. I, I don't even know. Um, think about that kind of stuff often. <clears throat> well, one of the cool things you're able to do now, though, you're still able to continue serving just in a unique way uh, with your restaurant. Um, yeah. And the nice thing about that is, you know, coming out, of, I mean, we got a lot to talk about because it's been 2021, just wrapped <laughs> yeah. up 2021. You know, we've been in this pandemic for like two years now. Brick and mortars took a lot of hit, you know, uh, yeah. people are depressed. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot it's, going yeah. on. There's, there's almost, there's almost too much going on. Really. There's almost like, like is is I think it's overwhelming, you know, for just, you think about things like in the just scope of stuff, like the amount of crazy stuff that's happened over the past two years. <clears throat> it's, it's, I don't know. It's like, well, what's not to talk about, you know? You open a restaurant in the middle of uh, the pandemic, right? Um, and so I'm sure, you know, you got a lot of stories. But first, you know, take off your armor for us, right? So I've seen the post, right? I'm seeing you in there, loving what you're doing. But, like, what's it like behind the scene? What's something that you're struggling with, either, you know, personally, professionally, as a small business owner right now? Uh, getting time to myself and trying not to overwork myself and then dealing with my employees I think um, I have a seven seven employees um, but you know I'm, I'm non-stop all the time um, I'm open seven days six days a week and I want to go to seven uh, but every that means you know for six days out of the week I'm, I'm running um, I'm in and out of the restaurant uh, it's just, you know, a lot of stuff is time consuming Saturdays. I pretty much work the, I'm cooking all day. Cause I don't have a cook for Saturdays. So, um, that's definitely, I mean, that's a lot. <clears throat> so yeah, trying to find time to myself, I think over the past three years, since I've really started working on this whole thing, I got to go camping well, backpacking, I went backpacking for two nights. Um, and that was just this past year. Um, but that, since that, I mean, really, really it's not been much else. Um, so it's, it's a lot of like working for everything else and then trying to figure out, you know, is there any time left for me? Which most of the time it doesn't seem like there is. Uh, so that's definitely, definitely a struggle. Yeah, man, you know, I'm guilty of it too, right? Like I've been, I've let my physical fitness drop, you know, and like as we're recording this podcast, like I'm on vacation um, and it's just been so peaceful to just kind of get back in the gym and just kind of mm -hmm. do it as like a routine. But I was like, what is going on like back in the States of like why I've been struggling working out like I used to and what is fine. What I realized was I've just had so much stuff going on in my head, you know, that like I'm prioritizing everything else. But being out here, it's just kind of quiet. And it's just almost like going back to the basics, right? But there are yeah. these things that we got to do to make sure that, like, we're taking care of ourselves, you know, whether it's going to the gym, hanging out with friends, you know, finding some quiet time, because we, it is all-encompassing, especially now when it just feels like, you know, just a lot going on, you know? Every day is something new. Every day is something new. And doesn't, it doesn't stop, you know. I got to deal with new city regulations that are, like, major, major impact on my business um and then they also go into that which also kind of dives into like the values of what the business is which i guess are an extension of my values uh and it's a it's a heavy thing because at the same time i still got to deal with because these these regulations new regulations they deal with my employees a lot and that's something that's just a really weighing on my mind um and it's with the vaccine mandate in philadelphia they 
they did this uh it's a new i guess it's a law but basically saying all restaurants and like uh, some other venues like i think it was at the stadiums and the uh, uh, movie theaters they have to acquire everybody that comes in and sits down to have a vaccine like card you're basically saying that you got vaccinated and it requires that everybody in the establishment to be vaccinated so all of your employees um so now i gotta figure out how to juggle that one how do i enforce it two what do i do with employees where i mean like we're what a year year and a half or something since having the vaccine so it's like if you haven't gotten it by now you're probably not going to so it's like now I gotta I gotta juggle that. You know, what am I supposed to do? Fire? Doesn't seem right to me. But you know, and at the same time, even if I do fire, we're still in the middle of a um a hiring shortage, um, employee shortage, you know. Uh, and so it's like you can't just get rid of people and then expect to turn over a whole new staff within a week. And if I fire my staff and there's no one to run the business, business ends up getting shut down. But if I stay open and they catch me with like unvaccinated employees, they find me two dollars a day. So I'm, I don't know what to do about that. You know? <laughs> yeah, kind of stuck between a stuck between a rock and a hard place. And for our listeners, man, I'll just let y'all know. You know, I live in Newark. You live in Philly, right? Or at least your restaurants out in Philly. And <laughs> you know, a lot of this stuff. Um, I mean, we could be pretty open about it, right? Like class, right? Mm-hmm. I can talk in Newark. A lot of people are unvaccinated in Newark, you know? Yeah. And especially those kind of, you know, uh, uh, entry-level jobs, whether working in restaurants and all this other stuff. So it is a very, it's a very tough challenge getting people, like you said, that haven't been vaccinated for a year to, you know, um, <laughs> to do it, you know? And now this responsibility is on you as like a business owner. So to all the veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses out there. Like we understand the challenges that you guys are going through. We don't want to just be, you know, necessarily just blind to it. We realize that like, this is a, is a, is a real challenge for people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a massive challenge. You know, I personally, I mean, I don't like, I mean, I have enough responsibility as it is as a business owner. Um, I personally, I just don't think it's right that the city would just kind of lay that on my feet um, to one check, you know, everybody's card as they come in you know, and then try to figure out what to do with my staff. I mean, yeah. the staffing, I think, is the, the biggest part. And, you know, you talk like, uh, so, you know, be open about this. Philadelphia, I'm not sure about Newark, but I know Philly has a uh, 25% poverty rate. It's high. It's real high in the city. And it's 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 concentrated in neighborhoods. And this, everybody knows it. if you go into the city, you know exactly once you cross a street, you know, like the neighborhood, neighborhood autumn just changes. Um, and then a lot of those, and you talk about entry level work, it's like, well, that's where a lot of the workers are coming from. You know, I'm not hiring uh, like really, really well experienced people. You know, they have some years in the kitchen, um, but most of it's just people who they need a job, you know, and that's a lot. Of, and, that's where the city's targeting most of their vaccine um, ads that they're, they're marketing for to get people to get vaccine. Uh, and doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be working, you know, but at the same time, he's going to tell all these people, okay, well, you can't go and work in this industry uh, because you don't have the vaccine. Um, so then I, I'm supposed to lay them off and what happens, you know? Yeah. The city has a major problem with uh, with unemployment, but I don't know. It seems to make it more difficult. Yeah, like again, like I said, I being around Newark and when this stuff kind of starts to roll out, right? You know, we see the people that are affected by it, and it's one of those things of you know public health, making sure you know people are safe, and at the same time, it's just like it's just so hard from an economic issue, you know, mm-hmm. um, when these are so economically deprived communities. So right. it's a real challenge. I appreciate you for opening up and like, listen, for our listeners, we don't have the right or wrong answers. We're just, you know, speaking yeah. from what we're seeing at the ground level. So, Dan, one of the things I would love you to kind of open up about is talk to us about, you know, how you actually became an entrepreneur. What was that process like? Because, you know, 
transitioning out of military is a very trying time for a lot of people. People are still trying to kind of find themselves, whatever. But you decided to open a restaurant. And one of the things that I'm interested in is like, as someone that's hosted, God knows, well over 150 podcasts, talks to entrepreneurs all the time. I know brick and mortar restaurants are a hard business model, you know? Um, And you're like, listen, you know, I'll lead the way. So I'm excited to get into this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So when I got out, I went into to Drexel um, and I did the culinary program there. And that's when and I, at the time, I really didn't even want to open up a restaurant. I remember it was my first cooking class. Uh, it was like, cook, I don't remember the name, the culinary 101 or something like that. But one of the guys that was teaching he wasn't he was kind of he wasn't an adjunct he was kind of like a uh, just a guest there but he was either there just kind of show us the basics and i remember he was a head chef at two restaurants or three you know he was a head chef at three at the time uh which i thought was really cool when i remember one class the main professor and him they were talking about like opening a restaurant and like how much work that was and they asked everybody you know like who here would be open to even opening a, you know running a restaurant or anything like that like they asked me and I, I had already known that the restaurant industry was tough so i was like no i'm, I'm gonna find something else to do because it doesn't seem like what's well, like if you have the money it doesn't seem like a good investment it definitely doesn't seem like it's not that it's not worth your time but it's like it's a lot of investment of your time um, just manual work all the time. So I said, no, I said, I wasn't going to do it until I had a pasta making class. I think my last year. And that's when I realized that in Philly, there is, there, there are no pasta classes that are or pasta classes. There are no pasta restaurants that do handmade pasta in like a fast casual sort of way, kind of like Chipotle, you know, all the handmade restaurant, handmade pasta restaurants are like, a plate, sit down, white tablecloth, and wine. Um, Pasta and pizza place, you know, where it comes in the the round tinfoil container and it's like jarred sauce and and then the uh, dried noodles. But it just didn't seem like there was anything in between. There was nothing, like, it it didn't make sense. Like, it doesn't cost a lot to make the noodles. Um, The machinery is expensive, but so is the rest of kitchen equipment. I started thinking about it some more and trying to really try to figure out why no one else has done it because it just seems to make sense. And I couldn't come up with an answer. So I just started like thinking about it some more. I hooked up with this other guy who, who was my ex business partner um, and started working on the plans, you know, finding equipment, um, figuring out recipes, coming up with the website and the menu. And it just like the more I worked on it, the more I got excited about it because it's like I started to see how much stuff was actually going to cost me, but then where I'm going to be able to make that money back, you know. And this whole thing was actually supposed to be born out of a food truck. Um, But just due to some really bad dealings with the guy who was supposed to build the food truck, Never happened. Uh, unfortunately, we ended up getting scammed out of quite a bit of money, uh, like seventy thousand. Got just lost uh, because the guy didn't. He 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 was running a scam basically on promising to build food trucks for people and then not actually doing it. Uh, and we weren't we weren't the only ones. As far as we know, there was like maybe twelve others. But he'd been doing this for years, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's around 20 um, people that he just took money and we got it built. So that had to be pretty devastating, you know, early on, especially in the I mean, you hadn't really launched yet. Right. And I'm curious to know, like, even where were you getting this capital from to be able to invest seventy thousand dollars toward building out a food truck? So I had. I had about 30,000, 30, 35 that I had saved from just being in the army and being, um, cause while I was in school, I was working at the same time too. I was 
working at a bunch of just different restaurants. Um, and I was collecting BAH, you know, through the GI Bill. So I, I and I didn't really, I'm not a big party person. So a lot of my money was just going right back into the bank account. And I just, just been saving money for just years and years. Um, so I had that, my business partner had came in with some money that he had gotten from his family. Uh, and then we had initially one investor uh, who came in with 40,000. And that's, that's where the money to, to get all the, get the food truck going. Um, and unfortunately, most of that just got wiped away, you know? So we didn't, I don't think, yeah, we didn't have any banks or anything like that. The only banking we had was just ourselves and one angel investor uh, that just happened to know my business partner, you know? So, and, and this is all before the pandemic, right? We just want to get yeah. this clear. This is yeah. pre-pandemic, right? So you're <laughs> already like going negative, yeah. right? We're and, already uh, 100,000 yeah. <laughs> into the hole after well, when we finally we got started. Yeah, already 100,000 in the hole before you open up. How were you able to push through? How were you able to keep going um, despite such a devastating blow early on? I don't quit. I just, I don't. I, I can't quit. And, and like I said, the more that I worked on it, the more that I built the menu, the more that I uh, started pricing stuff out, the more that I talked to people about it, you know, the more excited I got and the more it just kept making sense to me. And like, you know, sometimes you'll tell somebody like, oh, I had this idea for this thing. And it'll be like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But when you tell somebody like you want to do handmade pasta and fresh made sauces, customizable, um, they usually the first thing will be like, it's like, I love pasta. That's like the first thing they'll say. I love pasta. My daughter loves pasta. Oh, yeah, we, we eat this stuff. So I kind of just like kept me going, you know. And so after losing truck, um, realizing that it's not going to happen which that whole thing is a story in of itself, but um, we found the ghost kitchens and these were new to Philly, brand, brand new to Philly. Um, you know, ghost kitchens are essentially apartment buildings for restaurants. You know, the way it works is you go, well, as the owner, <clears throat> you'd have your own little space. It was ours was 200 square feet, um, tiny kitchen. You'd fill it with your equipment that you need to run it. Um, and they provide you this tablet that's supposed to aggregate all of your delivery platforms. So grub up DoorDash, Uber Eats, um, and then all of them get pushed through this one tablet. So all of your orders were supposed to be coming from online sales, but through the third party delivery apps. Um, so that model seemed to be the best next step considering how all we needed really was to um provide the equipment because we didn't need of a lot of a lot of equipment um it was it, it just kind of worked out well you know uh we still had some money left over which was supposed to be like operating capital for when we were in the food truck um but i just took that and put it into you know, buying the actual equipment we needed, filling up the space and really get started, um, you know, trying to get this thing off the ground and see if it works, you know, and, and that was, man, that was, a, that was a, a, a risk that I don't know if I'd be able to take again because, I mean, it was everything, you know, we, didn't, we really didn't have, you know, any money left over, um, you know, I mean, credit cards are basically maxed out. Um, you can't really get working capital from a bank, you know, because um, you, you don't have any experience. And at the time, I didn't know about like, uh, what, what are they called? Um, pitch competition. CDFIs. And, yeah. yeah, CDFIs, yeah, pitch, all this different exactly, stuff. Yeah. All these different resources to get access to you know, low interest loans or grants or whatever, right? Because a lot of us assume, you know, we read the different playbooks, right? You go to a bank, you do all this stuff that they tell us that we want to do when we start a business, but 
But just like you said, you find out the hard way, hey, you have no track record of success yet. You know, this stuff is just not working. You're having to come out of your pocket. And so that's why it's important for us to have platforms like this to share the reality of what people are really going to be facing when they're launching these ventures. Yeah, yeah. And the biggest thing that I learned, um, which hopefully I never have to do again, but is it's trying to eat and live off of the sales that I was making. Uh, it's a terrible idea. It just, man, there was, I mean, I, for the first, what were we in there? Seven months, uh, I'd be paying myself like $1,000 a month. Um, and I still, you know, have my, my life that I have to pay for, you know, uh, the car, the, uh, apartment, you know, just miscellaneous stuff, uh, that would happen. And, and obviously that's not going to cut it, you know, but I'm still working, you know, 80 hours, a week, 90 hours a week. Uh, so there's no time to pick up side hustle, you know, just do some Uber driving on the side or something like that. There's, there's no, man. So I was I was lucky that so we ended up getting a main break in our water or in our um, apartment. We ended up having to move out of our apartment for a couple of months. And so we weren't paying rent. So that happened at probably the best time when I just I wasn't making enough money to cover the rent, to cover everything else. Um, yeah, that was, that was so, man, that was real tough. I, I don't know. I don't know how I would have, had we not moved out of the apartment we did, I don't know what I would have done. Probably would have closed because the model of the ghost kitchens aren't really that friendly to smaller unknown restaurants. Mm. Uh, they're, they're good for Burger King. They're good for Wendy's. Um, but if, because you're already asking someone to pay an extra 10, $15 for delivery, so now it's like, well, do I want to chance it? You know, it takes an hour at least to get your food. So do I want to chance it on this new restaurant uh, or do I stick with something I already know? Not only that, people already know what you're getting from McBur- uh, McDonald's or Burger King or, or something like that. They, you know, you go to Popeye's, it's the same thing everywhere. You know, so it doesn't really matter where it's being ordered from. Uh, so the ghost kitchens are really great for, for franchised well-established, well-marketed restaurants. Uh, but for small, brand-new restaurants, it's not good. That's a million-dollar insight for our listeners getting into the food business. And it makes yeah. sense. Like, again, people are already taking a markup for their food, and they want it to – and I'm guilty of that. I'm that guy that goes to the restaurant and orders the same meal because I'm going to be upset if I go out to eat yeah. and I order something different and I miss the opportunity to get what I know, like, dang, you know? But so pay attention to that, man. And I'm, I'm loving yeah. this because you're one of the first restaurant people I've had on the show. So a lot of these insights are great for the community yeah. to understand as they continue to roll out, you know, their food ventures. So yeah. what was it that allowed you to go from a ghost kitchen to having a brick and mortar location? A luck, a lot of luck. Um, we were at the end of our lease in the ghost kitchens and one of the things that I started to realize was that if we had stayed through the summer uh, in the ghost kitchen, we would have closed. So re, uh, re-upping on our lease wasn't a good idea. Um, so I just started to kind of look around to see what, what's out there, you know, like I don't know what it takes to get into a brick and mortar store. I have no clue, but I know that this ghost kitchen thing isn't working out and I don't really have a fallback. So just keep pushing forward, I guess. So I went and started using um, just different websites, looking for commercial spaces, um, talking to people who were already in the restaurant industry and I found this one spot that was down where we are now, 17th Street, um, in a it's like a subterranean unit. Um, and I, 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 I looked at it and I was like, man, this place is kind of cool. It was small enough where it didn't seem like it would be too far outside of our price range. Um, I just, you know, 
past. Uh, they, you know, have they have the what is it, the MSC or or whatever, you know, the the, the commercial real estate brokers um, all over the, you know. So I called them. Luckily, there was a guy that I'd already known uh, through this. Uh, what is it called? I'm going to call it like a community commissary. Um, that it's a nonprofit, and I, I knew a guy that I was working in there. Uh, that I just got started talking to, and and he ended up being a real estate broker for that same company, so he already knew about the place. Um, I asked him about it. You know, the we toured it. We looked and it was perfect. Like, I mean, absolutely perfect. Like, there was no construction that needed to be done inside. Like nothing. All we had to do was come in, paint, clean. So things like your like your really expensive stuff, like your hood system, it's gonna cost you like fifteen thousand dollars to install. Was already there. Um, there were chairs that were already there, tables. Um, there was a counter that was already built for a fast casual style restaurant. You know, there was like a, a side table that was already built in there that was that is going to be used for uh, our drinks and stuff. Uh, there was a couple of pieces of equipment that were already in there. Um, there was a basement. I, I mean, it, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm talking perfect, man. There's there nothing like, I, I, the only thing I could ask for is maybe they redid the floors, but that's a $10,000 endeavor right there. So, but for get started with a, a small restaurant, um, unknown, not a lot of experience in owning a restaurant, could have asked for anything more and the location itself is perfect it's in Rittenhouse Square in Philly which for a, a you know the people listening uh who don't know Philly it's like if you're going to stay in center city Philly you're probably going to end up at some point around the Rittenhouse Square area you know there's the famous Rittenhouse Square Park which was a lot of movies were shot there Eddie Murphy shot a movie there trading places uh I think that was 80s. Um, it's just a well-trafficked area. I mean, we were on the same street of like three or four hotels that apparently are the same hotels that when ball players fly into the city, that's where they go. Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to connect that, but I'll, I'll get there. Um, I get it. It's a centralized location. Centralized is perfect. So let's think about this. Okay. So what year was that, that you actually got the space? Was that 20, was that right at 2020? That was 20, uh, 2021. We got that, um, this was June, June or July, I think is when we got the space. So you're, you transitioned from the ghost kitchen into the brick and mortar during the pandemic. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and now you're telling us, though, that, I mean, just in the pre-interview, you know, you got seven employees, right? So yeah. clearly, you know, talk to us about what happened once you started opening up. Uh, the neighborhood loved us. Um, we opened, I think it must have been a Thursday. Uh, yeah, it was a Thursday. And just in that day, we did, we did, that was like our, that was our best day that we had ever had in the ghost kitchens. And that was our first day. Friday comes around, it's even better. Saturday rolls around. I don't know what happened, but Saturday rolled around and it was like nonstop all day. Um, people just coming in. They didn't, I mean, I, and I'd been so busy at this point because I had lost my business partner um, prior to actually opening the, the brick and mortar um, that I hadn't had a time to really come up with like a marketing strategy. Um, I had Google Maps. I, you know, signed up for the little business profile. I had some reviews on Grubhub, DoorDash, New Eats. You know, we had an online presence uh, but I, I don't know, Saturday came up, we were just, we were just popping all day. And it really was just word of mouth. People will come into the restaurant and say, oh, how long have you guys been here? I live around the corner. 
Um, they taste the food, they love the food, they come back with their friends and their family. You know, we had that a couple times actually. People, they would come in once or twice, and the next thing you know, they bring in a gang of people. Uh, and that really continued, I mean, all the way up through to November, right before Thanksgiving. And that's when the city just kind of slows down anyway. But yeah, we just, it was all just word of mouth. You know, people like the concept. Did it catch you off guard? Were you surprised that you guys were so successful after opening up? Yeah, yeah it, it did. And because I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, really. You know, I had the numbers of what we were doing in the ghost kitchen, but I didn't really know or understand what it would be like having people be able to walk in. Um, so, yeah, I was I was definitely caught off guard. And, and I, I mean, I'm thankful for it because, you know, the, the positive reviews, the, the feedback, you know, it really helped grow me as a business owner uh, into understanding like, okay, this is what it could, it's going to be busier than this next year come summertime. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, it was awesome. You talked about before when you were at Drexel, you didn't understand why someone had not opened up a Chipotle style kind of pasta restaurant in that area. Now, after actually opening up one, Right. Do you see why people might have been hesitant? Was there something you found out or is it still just like, no, it's all smooth. It's super easy. No, I definitely wouldn't say it's easy. Not smooth at all either. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got hiccups all every day. Um, I think. I think the reason why people haven't done it might be the handmade pasta portion of it. Um you have to buy a certain type of machine to like mix the dough for you and then extrude it into the shape that you need. And it can be a pretty expensive machine, but I don't know that. I don't think the cost is really it because pizza ovens cost way more than uh, that. And, and not only that, I mean, just opening up a restaurant in general cost like a normal, you know, restaurant uh, with seating and, and a much larger kitchen than we have now costs two or three times as much. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure still because the cons, like the system that I've set up still works even when it's like heavily stressed. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's because people think, and I, that's just kind of, I don't know, maybe culture or something like that. People have this idea of what pasta should be and how it should be served. But from the reviews and the, the smiling faces that I see, and people don't seem to mind at all, you know, so I, I don't know. Right. One of the things I've been harping on a lot on this podcast is two things, really. You know, having a market first mentality, so a mentality where there's a demand. I mean, uh, the refra let me rephrase this. Right. A market first mentality of looking for opportunities where people are already spending money. Right. Mm -hmm. And carving out a niche. Right. And you identify early on that like people really like pasta and there's no secret that people spend money on pasta. So yeah. you assume that if you could do this brick and mortar comfort food kind of style uh, approach that you would be successful. And yeah. I'm I'm building the bet that that's why you're successful. Right. Because you found a market where people are already spending money. You carved out a niche around the comfort food, Chipotle style. Right. And oh, by the way, you're in a community where people like to get out about and walk and try new things mm -hmm. and are not afraid to spend money. Being in the center city, that that location too. you know, high income individuals too, right. People that can afford yeah. to live in that area. And then on top of that, there's the uh, product founder fit. You know, like, are you the person? that's uniquely qualified to like own this market, own this niche and your background as a veteran, you going to drag. So you having a love and passion for pasta. You were talking to us, to us in the pre-interview about, you know, you grew up cooking with your grandma. And yeah. so all these things just align 
to finally, you know, put you in a position where if we could just get all of that kind of lined up, boom, you're off to the races. And it sounds like that's yeah. what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I like to think so. I don't know for sure. I, I like a lot of times I'm just, I'm head down. Yeah. And I really try not to like wonder too much about like, I'm not concerned about like why things are good. Cause obviously I want them to continue on that route, but it's like, I don't know if I really sat and I try to pick out all the little things that may have gotten me to this point. I don't know. One, I don't even know if I'd be right. Cause it's like, I feel like I'm just at the right place at the right time, you know, and I just didn't quit. I think, you know, it's hard. It's hard to even really think about and, and at least for me, I don't know. Well, you weren't afraid to launch too. And, you know, yeah, well. at the end of the day, as entrepreneurs, we could come up with all the ideas, all the plans. We could run the, you know, the uh, financials and do all this other stuff, uh, the projections, the financial projections. But at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know until you right. launch. And once you launch, you start finding out all kind of stuff. You're testing your assumptions and you're having to make adjustments and pivots. But, you know, having a feedback loop where you can process what's happening, you know, and make those adjustments quick and timely and then just keep moving forward. Now, yeah. one of the things I want to get clarity around um, is when you moved into this brick and mortar location, right? You were already heavily undercapitalized. How were you able to work out a deal uh, with the developer to allow you to move into the space? Did you have to have like a down payment was this one of those opportunities where they needed foot traffic to the building anyway, so that they could, you know, sell the other spaces, you know, talk to us about that. Yeah. The, um, I, I don't think that the landlord was, I don't think that he was really, really looking for somebody to be in there. I know he wanted someone in there, you know, as far as I know, his building, uh, was, it probably was, Everybody else was yeah filled except for that one one space, um, and the last place I was in there had closed at the start of the pandemic, um, and from what I've heard about this place, uh, the, the place I was in there it wasn't. It was one of those places that didn't really have staying power. Yeah, um, and honestly, just by the way that the restaurant was how it looked when I got in there, I mean it was filthy. Uh, it didn't seem like they really knew what they were doing, but the landlord was really, really, really nice. And he was down to talk to me. Um, you know, so this is during the pandemic. So there are no meetings like face to face meetings that were going on. Um, in fact, I think for maybe the first month that we were like dealing with the landlord, most of it was through our broker and like I, I didn't talk to him at all until I can't remember if it was me or if it was my broker that said it would be a good idea to have a Zoom meeting. Um, because at the time, um, I guess the landlord had somebody else that they were considering uh, who had more money than we did. Um, I don't know what the concept was. Uh, so, you know, they... They had options, you know, and I'm sure that even by now, uh, they probably had somebody else fill that space uh, had we not taken it or had not the other people taken it. So we had a Zoom meeting. Uh, I was able to talk to the landlord, um, explain to him my situation, you know, where we were, what had went on with the food truck, who I was. Um, and I think that convinced him to take us on in his space because it's just as it's a liability for them too, you know, because if they let in somebody who really doesn't know what they're doing, who doesn't know anything about the restaurant industry and uh, the worst could happen really like the place could burn down, you know, um, or it turns out that, you know, some illegal activity was happening in the, in the restaurant or something like that, or, you know, um, and, and, and so the building owner has a has their own reputation to uphold in that sense. Um, but I, 
managed to talk to the guy, you know, gave him our story. He liked it. He liked the concept. We were uh, lucky enough to have some reviews already made um, for us on, you know, the, the delivery platforms and through Google. Uh, and that was enough. He, he really, he did work with us as far as like how much was due down and you know, how much it was a month. Uh, it turned out, I think it was like, it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much as he was charging some of the other tents. Uh, so cut us a break. Um, you know, it, it is, I ran into the perfect guy because, because come to find out, uh, he's a really entrepreneurial friendly guy. You know, he's not just looking for like a Chick-fil-A to spill, fill the spot. You know, he probably could get one in there, you know, and for sure they're going to pay the rent. But I guess this guy has a thing about small businesses or entrepreneurs themselves, uh, which was just great. You know, and, and again, this guy didn't have to let us in, you know, and he's by no means struggling for money. I can tell you that right now. He owns not just that building. <laughs> Come to find out he owns like a couple of buildings in Philly um, as, as well as some others in New York. So. But I'll tell yeah. you, it doesn't surprise me again, and here's why. You found someone who was willing to take a chance on you, and that's really what it comes down to. He was willing to take a chance, and he did his due diligence, I'm sure, and you know gave you that opportunity, and now you've made the most of it. You know, mm -hmm. the other thing I'm willing to bet too is you. You know, in the military, we had this term "actuals talk to actuals," right? Yeah. Right. You know, you're a commander. I don't care if you're a Lance Corporal that's got two troops with you, two Marines with you. I'm a platoon commander. When it comes time to tack planning, actuals talk to actuals. You're in charge of your team. I'm in charge of my platoon. Let's talk. By you being able to go talk directly to a source like this, right, that key decision maker, right, it's his decision, you know. So you're not going at that in between. You know, yeah, you had your broker, but when you got a chance to look him in the eye on that Zoom call, talk to him, whatever, right? That's a very powerful uh, thing to be able to do. So, yep. you know, a lot of times we can waste time talking to gatekeepers, talking to this stuff, but I encourage everyone, talk to the decision maker, actual to actual, look them in the eye, you know, shake their hand, whatever you got to do, let them know what you bring to the table. And, uh, you know, I've had that in my own life of uh, small business owners that are entrepreneurial, giving me a chance with a venture. Yeah. No, so, yeah. You know, and that's the thing, like, you don't, like, it's like reading a story book about somebody versus actually talking to them about it. You know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the same. You're not going to get you get the same story, but the way it's brought to you, the way that it's explained, it's not quite the same, you know, you're because nobody cares more about your business than you do. Right. You know, so I can I can get down to the nitty gritty details about everything, you know, and if it had been him talking to the broker, you know, like, OK, so then, you know, what is his what are his margins on his pasta? Broker's probably not going to know, you know, and depending on the type of person you have as a broker, maybe they'll give an answer of like, I don't know, could be, you know, uh, he probably makes about 30% on them. I don't know. Maybe it's 20%. You could, you know, but it's like, it's, it's just not the same. You know, that broker could turn around and ask you if he's that type of person, but then there's a delay and any sort of, and, communication when you're talking to somebody so you don't want that kind of delay things get lost in translation Always. you know that's why sometimes you got to jump off of email and you got to yeah. just explain to people and you know just have these conversations all right so i got a couple more questions for you being a veteran how has that influenced your entrepreneurial journey and did you know that organizations like barker labs existed that were there to help, you know, with this process of like transitioning from the military and the, you know, being an entrepreneur. Uh, so when I got out of the military, I thought I, was, I felt alone. I felt really alone because I was right out of the military, uh, moved from Georgia up to Philly. Um, 
and I went into school and I was I was 22 at the time, 22, 23. Um, so I was already older than everybody for the most part. Um, and I wasn't on the same <clears throat> I, I wasn't on the same path as everyone. You know, I'm not I don't want to go hang out and, and party. I really don't. It wasn't cool. But for me, you know, when I, I had work, so uh, I had secured employment uh, before I even moved to the state just because I was worried about what I'm going to do about money. I didn't know really too much about my BAH when I was in school. Um, so I felt, I, man, I felt really alone coming in and coming out of the military. Uh, I didn't really know too much about the, the veteran programs that were even at Drexel. Um, most of that my fault because I just wasn't really getting as involved as I should have. Um, but I think that going, going from that into opening up a business, saying I'm going to opening up, uh, open up a business and start doing a lot of research, that's when stuff started happening as far as people introducing me to other people. And that's how I found out about Bunker Labs. Uh, I had found out about them. I was talking to somebody, somebody at Drexel, at the Veterans Kind of Alumni uh, Association. Um, and they had said, oh, cool. Well, you want to open up a, a food truck? You want to be a business? Well, you should get involved with Bunker Labs. I didn't know anything about it. And she invited me out to... Uh, uh, what are they called? They, it's like bunker. the bunker brews. Yeah, we don't um, do bunker brews anymore, but like a bunker yeah. connect or a way to come yeah. together and meet other people. Yeah, and that's when I really found out about bunker. I started talking to people, other veterans, other veteran business owners, um, and that really started to open up. Like, and it also kind of pushed me along because the more people I told about it, the more people were like that sounds really cool. Um, you know, I met the guy who does our shirts, Nick Franz. He's a really cool dude out in Pottstown. Um, I had met another guy. I think he was, well, I forget his rank, but he was a, he was in the, um, he is in the Navy now. But he helped me out with my initial financial planning as far as like what you should expect. This, you know, we were planning for a food truck. But, um, you know, I, and, and, and that just kept going. So I stayed on with Bunkers and I didn't become a VIR member um until actually until i got started so i think this was like uh october no no, no this was uh the middle so it was june of of 2020 was when i first had the the first meeting with bunker labs as a vr so it sounds like you know once you opened up and start putting yourself out there right you started to find this network that you <laughs> didn't even know was available for you and, yep. you know, there are people out there, I call them overwatch, you know, veterans, military spouses, you know, civilians with kids that are veterans, whatever you want to call it, that are out there and they want to help people. You know, so when they come across opportunities, you know, that's what we're really about, you know, at Bunker is bringing these connections together. And I'm glad that you have to get pulled into the bunker because now I found you. I'm like, I need to go out there and grab some of these yeah. noodles. Now, the last question I want to ask you as you start looking towards the future. Right. On the other side of this pandemic or whoever knows how long it's going to be just, you know, three to five years out. Right. Or even five to 15. What is your BHAG? And that stands for Big Harry Audacious Goal. So it's like, where is that North Star that you're yeah. working towards with Farina Pasta? I want to take Farina uh, and multiply it. I want to turn it into really the Chipotle of pasta, you know, I want to, I want to be able to go to Pittsburgh, New York, California, uh, and pop into a farina pasta and noodle, you know, hey, pasta for the same way I've been doing it now, uh, you know, should the system hold up, um, I, that's why I want to take it. And if I don't take it there, I would want to sell it to somebody who can and still be a part of the company uh, in some sort of way. Um, but yeah, I would say in, in three years, I, I would hope to have a second or maybe even a third location. 
Um, you know, five years, I really would like to be at a, five, a third location, third, fourth, um, or even maybe beyond that. I don't know. It depends on the kind of money that I find uh, might come come in that. I don't know. But um, yeah, no, if I could, if I could take this, turn it into a national brand, you know, and and, and have people enjoying pasta the same way that, you know, I was watching uh, or was hearing about uh, like the Chipotle is being overwhelmed with orders, um, you know, and how terrible it was for the workers. And it is terrible for them when they get overwhelmed like that. But to the marketers, to the CEO, the COO of the Chipotle, that's and it's just dancing it. Yeah, that's know? a win. It's a win. You know, they can figure out all the, the nitty gritty on how to handle, you know, too many orders. But, you know, their stuff's blowing up all over the country. So. Yeah, that's that's it. Well, I'll tell you this. You got veterans and military spouses tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. What closing remarks would you like to leave them with as they pursue their own entrepreneurial journey and also let them know how we can help you? What can we do as a community to support you and your efforts of, you know, scaling Farina and getting it to that next level? Well, I mean, I would say as some advice, I would say don't don't give up. Don't quit, even if you it doesn't like it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. Don't quit. You can't quit on on, on something that's uh, if you really believe in it. <clears throat> and, you know, don't be afraid to reach out for help. You know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, once you start getting connected. With, with people you start talking to them especially within the bunker labs um you, you just ask you start asking questions you know you ask somebody how, how do i figure this out where do i go who, who what do i do somebody they may not have the answer but they may say okay well i can connect you with somebody else who may and help you out you know for the most part if you there are people out there that have generally struggled, you know, in the same way. And you may not even really have known it. And they just want to help. They may not. They just don't want to see you go through the same thing. Uh, so, so really, yeah, you can't. It's like you, you can't not talk to people, you know. You, you have to have to kind of open up and, t- and talk to people about stuff, you know. Um, and then I guess for me, I, I mean, I'm always looking for more connections. You know, if you know somebody who owns a business in the city um, or near Philly who may need some catering, you know, I'll be down to do some catering for you. Um, you know, if you just have connections to like, uh, I don't know, a new plumber or something like that, you know, if you got. If you know somebody who needs a job, who's looking for like a, a quick part-time job down to apply, they, they don't have to have restaurant experience. I can train you on how to do stuff that I need. Um, you know, I mean, besides the obvious, we're always looking for the next investment. But um, yeah, I think I think if I could just get more connections, more you know, more more people to talk to, you know, if you, or if you just, you know, if you need, if you're in this, in the restaurant industry, if you want to reach out to me, um, you know, through, through Mike, or, or I don't know if you're going to put uh, my information down there for people to find or something like that, but yeah, they can always reach out. They got restaurant related questions, you know, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you that. The restaurant from the ground. Where can people find you at? Where can they follow you at on social media? Uh, we're at Farina Noodle. Uh, that's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, most active on Instagram. Um, yeah, no, they, that's where, that's where they can find us, uh, posting up a lot of stuff there. The website is, uh, Farina pasta, phl.com. Um, yeah, yeah, they can, that's how they can, that's how they can reach me if they, they need to. My, my, my email is going to be at the bottom. Um, they call the, the phone number on there. I'm more than likely going to be at the restaurant. So, you know catch me there well dan man i appreciate you for making time for us today my brother you are an inspiration keep doing what you're doing we got to make sure you succeed got a lot of people out there rooting for you and uh let's mobilize the bunker community to show some love 
you know, and uh, I, I hope to get you back on, you know, in two, three years when you do scale it, you know, and you're, you know, you're, you, you're, you. you're taking it to that next level. And so again, man, it's been an honor having you here. And uh, I'm going to be talking to you a lot more too, man. I definitely want to hear more about your story and your background. Cause there's a lot of veterans that are transitioning and uh, they see what you're doing. They want to know how, and that's why it's important. We do this stuff. And for all our listeners, do us a favor and make sure you subscribe to the transition podcast and newsletter at the link in your show notes, or at least newsletter at least once a week on our platform Substack, um, as well as one podcast a week. Also, I'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review for this show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or want us to cover a specific topic, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org.